evening. First, I would like to take this time to thank the elders for this opportunity to bring you a, a lesson from God's word. I want to thank the members for being here even after Stephen's announcement that I was going to be preaching. You came back, so thank you for your support. And then thank you for, uh, to the visitors who are here. Um, we have two very capable and talented preachers, but I'm not one of them. Um, so please come back when you can to hear Brother Ken or Brother Ben. <clears throat> this evening I want to start off by asking you all a question. When was the last time that you thought about how awesome God truly is? Are you reminded of it when you go outside the city on a clear night and you see the moon and the thousands of stars? Are you reminded of it when you look down into the depths and the wonder of the ocean? Or are you reminded of it when you look around the natural world that surrounds us and see the wisdom and the creativity that's there? These are all wonderful places to look. However, I want you to look somewhere else. I want you to look in a mirror. Look in the mirror and you will see how awesome God is. And here's why I say this. If you open your Bible to Psalms chapter 139. Psalms 139, I'm going to read the first 14 verses. In Psalms 139, beginning in verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. <clears throat> you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Here David is contemplating the omnipresence and omniscience of God. He's writing these thoughts about God and says that God knows his very sitting and his very rising up. God knows David's very thoughts and words. He goes on to say in verse 3 that God knows all of his ways. In verse 7, is there anything that I can do to flee from your presence? You can almost picture this scene, can't you, that David's sitting there writing this psalm. He's writing these words about God's presence and his power. Then stop and he pauses to realize the magnitude of what he's writing. <clears throat> he realizes how awesome God really is. David, even as the powerful king ruling most of the known world at the time, realizes how insignificant he is in the sight of God. Then he thinks about his relationship with God. And he picks his pen back up. <clears throat> And he writes, verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, David realized that even in God's infinite greatness, that God took the time to create him 
and to create him and give him life. Not only give him life, but he did so with a purpose and out of a deep, uh, out of a deep love for David. And this deep love that God showed to David isn't specific to David. No, he did that exact same thing for each and every one of us that's sitting in this auditorium tonight. The one and true living God created us out of love and with a purpose. A purpose only given to his unique, unique creation, man. So tonight I want us to look at these two ideas of being fearfully and wonderfully made. We're going to kind of look at them in backwards order, starting first with the phrase wonderfully made. It brings to mind how God created us and how he set us apart from the rest of creation. And then we're going to look at the phrase of being fearfully made. Why, why God created us and what our purpose is. And my hope is, when we finish this evening, we can think about how we, view, how we view our God, how we view ourselves, and how we decide what we're going to do with every day that we're given. So let's start off with this idea of being wonderfully made, how we're created. If you would go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 seems like a good place to look to see how we were created. While you're turning there, I just want to take a minute to say, you know, it's so unfortunate that so many in the world today would have us believe that we came from this, from a long time ago, we came from this pool of unorganized, lifeless matter. And along came this energy force, maybe a giant bolt of lightning, (coughs) and injected this tremendous amount of energy into this lifeless matter sitting there on the ground. And then slowly, after millions and maybe billions of years, that lifeless matter evolves into a more complex life form. And along with luck and random genetic uh, beneficial mutations, here we sit as a highly evolved species that science wants to, you know, likes to call us homo sapiens. I bring this up not to preach about the fallacies of evolution, even though there's a bunch. Um, but for those who believe, believe this and put their faith in this way of thinking, it's a sad life. And if you buy into this lie, you don't have a hope for anything better in this life. You don't have anything to strive for except the temporal things. And then once, those are, once this life's over, then what? It's a sad commentary that so many people, including once faithful brethren, have decided to believe uh, this way of thinking. Because you see, in this theory of evolution... We see man isn't set apart. He isn't unique in any, in any way whatsoever. It's just the contrary. Man is just the most recent rung on the life ladder. We're the most highly evolved species of the time. And since we are, we ought to just live up life and, and do what pleases us, right? Because we make the rules because there's no one else to tell us otherwise. But in sharp contrast to that, if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1, we see the biblical account, the true account, of, of man's beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
and skipping down to verse 31, it says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it's interesting here that God said, let us make man in our image. Of course, this word our is meaning God the Father and God the Son. They were both there when the world was created. He uses this phrase not to describe the birds of the air or the fish of the sea or the beasts of the field as he talks about, but he uses it only for man. In fact, he even goes on to say that man is one step higher and that he put him in dominion, uh, to have dominion over all these other animals and over the earth. From the beginning of time, it was God's plan to set us apart as the brightest and clearest reflection of his creation. So with that in mind, I want to take a few minutes to look at a few examples of how God created us so wonderfully. (coughs) If you were to take a sample of the soil out here, in the parking, or not in the parking lot, but out here in the, in the grass. A lot of the elements you would find in that soil would be phosphorus and calcium, and potassium, sodium, and nitrogen. Consequently, these are the exact same elements that are so essential to our life as humans. In our body, these elements are very vital for muscle movement, for bone formation, for heart contractions, for the regulation of fluid balance, so basically anything that's gonna keep us alive these things are important for and used in. So do you think this happened by chance? Well, continuing on in Genesis, in the biblical account of creation, in Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. What God is showing us here in verse 7 is that he created us in a way that would allow us to live on this earth that he made for us. In fact, these same elements are part of the beasts of the field that God created in verse 19 of the same chapter. He says, they, speaking of the beasts, they were formed from the ground. And of course, plant life growing out of this same ground would be full of these same elements as well. So when we eat these crops of the earth and eat those tasty animals that God put us to, uh, to have dominion over, we're replenishing these elements that our body needs. So no, this didn't happen by chance. God tells us that it didn't. But it was done through the foreknowledge and the vast wisdom of God that he created us to give us all things to sustain our physical life here on earth. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, God tells the Israelites that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Here the Lord is warning the Israelites that they shouldn't eat the blood of the sacrificed animals. Well, what did God mean when he said that the life is in the blood? Well, for application of our lesson tonight, if you look at it from a physiological uh, aspect, when you look at the vascular system and what it does for our body, we clearly see that indeed life does come um, only through the blood that's in our bodies. Blood regulates acidity and alkalinity to keep our pH levels in check. And just this one function that the blood does is pretty amazing. The range for a healthy pH level within inside our bodies is, is tiny. I mean, you're talking about tens of a point on the scale. And if we stay within that small window, everything's great. You know, we're healthy and we're doing fine. But we start moving outside of that window one way or the other. 
and we can start experiencing serious health problems really quickly. But our vascular system and our blood is regulating this 24 hours a day. It's, ju it's just amazing what, what our uh, blood and vascular system does. It also provides oxygen, obviously, and removes CO2 from cells. It carries essential vitamins and minerals that we already spoke about. It carries hormones that are used in various uh, functions within the body. And it also protects us from um, harmful foreign objects that would try to invade our body by uh, implementing antibodies and white blood cells. It can also coagulate itself to prevent its own loss from our body. And the blood must be in the right place at the right time, at the right temperature, at the right volume, and at the right pressure to be useful within our body. But again, it's, this is happening all the time, every day of our lives. Look at the human brain. It weighs about three pounds, so about one to three percent of the human, of the adult human's body weight, depending on how much you weigh. Um, but this little three-pound muscle has approximately a hundred and billion neurons, or nerve cells, within it. And these neurons are processing and transmitting electrochemical uh, signals throughout the body. Each one of these neurons can fire about 200 times per second. And each neuron connects to about a thousand other neurons within our brain. So every time a neuron fires a signal, one, a thousand other neurons are getting this information. But also, if you do the math, 100 billion neurons firing 200, or 200 times per second, that's a lot of zeros. A lot of information that's being transmitted per second. It comes out, my uh, math, it's a lot of zeros, so hopefully I'm right, comes out to around 20 trillion bits of information that's transmitted per second in our body of every minute, of every hour, of every day that we live. So how awesome is our God that he's able to create something like this and just do it like that? Create it by just speaking. These signals that our brain produces and is communicating through our body is processing the outside five senses that we all know about. Taste, touch, smell, hearing, and sight all while communicating with our body to perform other uh, tasks simultaneously. And 99% of the time, we're not even conscious that our brain's doing this. If you think about it right now, your brain is processing what I'm hearing, or what I'm saying, sorry. Your brain is processing what I'm saying, and you're hearing it, and your brain's thinking, hmm, does this guy make sense? And it's basing that off all the information that your brain's stored up over, over your lifetime. Hopefully, the answer to that question is yes. But your brain is processing what I'm saying. You're deciding, your eyes are taking in the light, and your brain's deciding whether it's too bright or too dark or if, you're, if everything's okay. Your, your brain is also communicating with your skin, telling you whether you're hot or you're cold. Thanks to Richard and this fan back here, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right now. So, but when your brain's communicating with the, the, your skin cells and your skin nerves, it's going to act accordingly by either constricting or dilating your pores of your skin. And then your tongue might be telling you that the gum you bought on the way to church to services this evening is, is a flavor that you like. All this is happening while your brain is regulating your breathing, your heart functions, and so many other things. And until I just pointed this out, you probably weren't even, like I said, conscious that your brain's doing all this. 
only humans have the ability to create and understand art. Uh, some of us probably a lot better than others. Um, probably on the lesser scale of that, but we do have that ability to create and understand art. We have the capacity of abstract thinking to use math and science to create medicines and machines and man-made structures that will help us. I mean, look at Genesis chapter 6, uh, the story of Noah and the ark. Sometimes I wonder if we give Noah enough credit for what he actually did, the engineering feat that he pulled off. I mean, just yesterday I had asked Jimmy to come over and help me build a dresser for that Stella's nursery. And after two hours, we had the dresser put together, we had the drawers made, and I was feeling pretty good about ourselves. Until Jimmy said, what are these other pieces laying here? And, I, and my initial thought was, oh, I don't think we probably need those. It, well, I guess you do need the supports that hold the drawer in place. So we kind of had to loosen things up, put those back in, tighten it back up. So then we thought we were doing great. We went to put in the drawers. Half of them fit and half of them were kind of cockeyed when you put them in. And again, I thought, man, we bought a faulty dresser. Well, you got to make sure the, the rolling guides are the right way on the drawers. So when you put them in, they're sitting in the right way. So we had instructions. We were following them. And obviously, we didn't do that, that well of a job. But Noah built this thing to hold as much weight as it was going to hold, to stay afloat during the extreme conditions that it was going to face. Yes, God gave him the blueprints, so the blueprints and the instructions were perfect, but he physically still had to build this thing. And he was able to do that because of how God created him in the first place. You look at King Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 30. If you want to turn there with me, 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 32, verse 30. In that one verse, it says, the same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of the upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. So here we see King Hezekiah dammed up a, dammed up a water source, diverted it through underground tunnels that he had built, and brought it from outside the city to inside the city so his people could have an on-demand water supply. Again, the, the abilities that God has given us to to work and to, and to do things and engineer things is, is just amazing. We have the ability to uh, have large-scale cooperation. Think of the company Amazon. And think about how you tell Alexa that you want to order those dish towels or those vitamins or those Keurig pods, all the logistics and cooperations that go into getting that to your house. And that's just your one order. They have thousands every day from around the world, but yet they're successful in doing this because of the cooperation and logistics of the company. And obviously we can look at the examples in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 6, the nation of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho and the cooperation it took for that week-long process to, to play out. Or in Nehemiah chapter 4, when Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and leads the Israelites in rebuilding the city walls. It says in verse 6 that they had a mind to work. So they worked together. They came up with a plan of who was going to do what, for how long they were going to do it, with what tools they were going to do or use. They had this common goal, and they achieved it. In just 52 days, they had the city walls rebuilt. This is a great example of how mankind can work together on a large scale 
because of how God created us. And then lastly, we, we have uh, language. The eth- ethnologue catalog of world languages, which is one of the best linguistic resources, which is kind of hard to say, even though I'm talking about languages, but currently lists that there are 6,909 6, languages, living languages in the world today. About 6% of those have more than a million speakers. 6% of that is 415 languages, have over a million people speaking that language. When you look at the array of languages man uh, uses to communicate, it completely fits with the biblical account in Genesis chapter 11 of the Tower of Babel. Then you look at not only the verbal language, but our written language, and how we're able to express emotion and comp- portray the details that can be used to describe events and processes. And no matter what the language The word may be spelled differently and obviously pronounced differently, but the ideas behind the word are so often the same. If I ask somebody in Spanish where their cat is, donde tu gato, they're not going to point to a dog or a horse. They're going to point to a cat because they know what I'm talking about. Same with an apple. If I ask them where their biblioteca is, they're not going to send me the grocery store. They're going to tell me where the library is. The idea behind these words are the same, even though in other languages they're pronounced different, even spelled different. But those ideas are there, and that's all because of how God created us. We are absolutely, without a doubt, made in a wonderful way by a wonderful creator. Back to Psalms chapter 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This idea of being fearfully made or why we are created. This word fear in this passage is the same as we see a lot of times in the phrase fear of the Lord. It means to have great reverence for or all or respect for. But in this instance, the subject of this all and respect isn't the Lord. It's us. If you look at the wording, it says this is how we're fearfully made. We're the subject of this all and respect because of how God created us. He created us with reverence. He created us out of a deep love, as I mentioned earlier. And we just think about that for a minute, that the one and true living God, the creator of this great universe, that he loves us enough and respects us enough that David described his creation of us this way. So as I pointed out, you know, God created man. Atheism is false. Genesis is true. The biblical account of creation is accurate, that God did it in six literal days and created us on the sixth day. That he created us uniquely That he didn't just throw us together to have humans on the earth. The Lord didn't just create us just for the fun of it, but he created us out of a place of reverence, as I've said, and respect and an interest for our well-being. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, again, it says that he created us by breathing life into our nostrils. The imagery here is that God gave man a soul, that he gave us uh, the ability to be eternal. And why did he do that? Because he wanted us one day to all be with him in heaven. In his eternal home. He didn't do this for chimps or for monkeys or dogs or any other part of his creation. He did it for us. And that's how awesome our Lord is. And he created us with a purpose. If you turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sure some of you are already there to verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul tells us, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From the beginning of time, back in Genesis chapter 1, God had a purpose for us. He created us in the likeness of his son so that we could do good works. Likewise, over in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, when Jesus' parents are looking for him in Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple, he says, Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? So the one we're patterned after gives us an example here that we should be about our heavenly father's business. We have a purpose in life. If you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we'll start reading in verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the, all the law and the prophets. So we see here in Jesus' answer to this lawyer, quoting from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we can conclude that our purpose, one, is obedience. Is to obey God's commands. Two, our, our purpose is this obedience should be selfless. Or selfless. It should be done out of love for God. And it should be done thirdly with an act of servitude towards God and towards our neighbor. <clears throat> so if God created us for a purpose of obeying his commands, loving him more than we love ourselves and loving our neighbor and serving them more than we love ourselves, if this is the case, how should we respond to God's uh, purpose for us? I have three points, and then we'll, we'll wrap up this lesson. The first point I would suggest is we should respond to the Lord with faith. If you turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we see here that it's impossible to please God without having faith, without seeking him and learning who he is and what his will is for us. He's not going to reward us. And who doesn't want to be rewarded by their father? As children, I mean, I have three beautiful girls, probably the most beautiful girls in the world, I guess. But, you know, it's, it's such a great thing to have them in my life and, and the blessings they are. But it, it's so apparent that they want to do what you're asking. They don't always do it. But... It's there. They, they want to please you. They want to do what you're, what you're asking them to do as the Father. That's how God created us. And that's the same 
attitude we should have towards our Heavenly Father. We should want to be rewarded by Him by being obedient to Him. In Romans 10, verse 17, it's a very uh, well-known passage that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if you couple that with James chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. So our faith is one that needs to be active. A belief that causes us to do something in response to hearing God's word. A belief in hearing God's inspired word and what he's done for us should cause us to be doers for his cause. So I'd ask the question, is that the case uh, in our lives today? Are we diligently trying to seek him and be faithful to him because of what he's done for us? Second point I would have us consider is our response should be done with a focus. Let's do what we were created to do. Let's focus on what, God, what it is that God has designed us for, to do these good works that we've already read about. And the only way I know how to do that is to be in God's word, to be in his instructions and know what his will is for us. If you look at Ezra in his life, in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says, And Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach in Israel, in Israel statutes and judgments. This verse is a summary of Ezra's life and his purpose. He was determined to fully accept the Lord's direction in his life. This desire came from a deep conviction and a reverence for God. This didn't happen by chance. As the verse says, he prepared. He took the time and the effort to make sure that he had prepared his heart. This that's, This led Ezra to seek out the Lord and his revealed word. Ezra was focused on God. Are we focused on him the way we should be? Timothy, uh, turn with me over to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 verses 14 through 15. Timothy was knowledgeable in the scriptures long before he had ever met Paul and long before he had ever thought about being a preacher of the gospel. This knowledge that he had, though, uh, gave Timothy a great advantage because when he did finally meet Paul, he allowed Timothy to critically examine the things that Paul uh, was teaching. Paul writes this in this passage uh, when he says in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verses 14 and 15, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned for, uh, learned them, and that my ch- and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy already had a vast knowledge and understanding of the word, thanks to his mother and his grandmother. But Paul is telling him, "Don't think you've don't think you've arrived. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight on what is important." Timothy had a deep and accurate and active knowledge of God's word. Do we have the same uh, knowledge of God's word? Are we working towards that in our lives? And then, of course, there's Jesus being tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. As the devil tempted him and tried to occupy Jesus' mind with the thoughts of worldly pleasures and trying to muddy the waters of what was okay to do uh, for Jesus, Jesus always went back to the scriptures as been pointed by uh, Dan and Braden last week, he always went back to the scriptures and pointed out that it is written, it is said. He knew the scriptures beforehand. He drew on the strength 
that he had in the knowledge of these scriptures. We can't wait, obviously, until we're pressed into action to, um, to try and do God's will. We're not going to wait if we have a, lo- uh, a really important job interview. We're not going to wait to the last minute to go learn about this company we're fixing to go interview with. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. We're not, or we shouldn't wait until uh, the night before to cram for an exam, right? And then expect to make a good grade. That doesn't make any sense either. And if we're devoted to something, if we want to learn how to play an instrument, if we want to um, make good grades, if we want to Im- improve our game in a sport that we play, we're going to practice it daily. It's going to be a routine. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that if, we race, if we're running a race, we're going to discipline our body. We're going to be in strict training to try to win that crown. And obviously in the example of the race, it's a perishable crown, but Paul tells the Corinthian brethren, you should be doing the same thing for the imperishable crown. So how bad do we want this imperishable crown? Are we going to follow God's instruction to make sure that we're doing that? And the last point I would like to make tonight is that we should respond to God's purpose for us with fear. We serve an awesome God, and we should respect him as such. We've already talked about this word fear and that it doesn't mean a a child who's uh, scared of what might be in his dark closet. But this is a a word, again, meaning reverence and respect. And we should fear God because of who he is and what he's done for us. Um, If you turn over one more passage to Ecclesiastes chapter 13. Ecclesiastes 13, verse 12, or I'm sorry, verse 13, the last verse in the, of the book. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then John tells us in, four, four, uh, John tells us in John 14, 15, to love, if we love Jesus, we're going to, uh, or Jesus tells us if we love him, we're going to keep his commandments. Well, where are these commandments found? Again, they're found in the inspired word of God. Are we doing everything we can as his children to follow the Father's commandments? Are we constantly examining our lives to make sure our will is in line with his? So to kind of circle back as we finish up, our purpose in life that God gave us is to love him, to glorify him, to keep his commandments and to serve, serve others. We can do this by having the act of faith in God, showing him our love through uh, keeping his commandments and knowing these commandments by being in his word and knowing his will for us and his instruction of how we should live our life. The lesson is yours. In closing, I would like to read Psalms 139, verse 14, one more time. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Will you believe what the Holy Holy Spirit says? That God created you, that you are special in his sight, that he loves you? Let's be sure to, to, to live our lives this week like we're his special creation. 
live our lives this way in the weeks ahead. Let's live for God the way we're supposed to. If you're a child of God, but not been living according to his purpose, you can make things right this evening. If you're not a Christian, your creator desires that you come to him and start a relationship with him. Will you believe? Will you fear and love the Lord tonight the way you should? Is there anyth- if there's anything we can do for you to make your life right with God, we would love nothing more to assist you with that tonight. If you would please come forward as we stand and sing.